Amen. Will you bow your heads in prayer with me? God, we ask that you would open our eyes to your word so that we may see your story anew. Speak to us through your word this day. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Friends, tomorrow is Christmas. Can you say it a little bit of excitement, please? Tomorrow is Yay! Tomorrow is Christmas. And there is something about our culture that is just so uniquely us. Christmas morning, even a Grinch has a smile on his face, right? You know, just to see the excitement of the kids when they open their presents tomorrow, there is something magical about that, wouldn't you say? Right? Come on. Wouldn't you say? You can say yes. Thank you. Right? It's absolutely beautiful just to kind of be in that moment when they are just like ripping through their gifts and looking at what is inside that box. It's absolutely magical. When you see their faces light up, you can't but have a smile. Right? You can't but have a smile on your face. This year, um, we had quite a year, um, especially in America. Um, we had um, some challenges uh, this year. And uh, these challenges made us wonder what Christmas was going to look like for us. I know because of the supply and chain issues that we were facing, most parents started to worry about Christmas back in September and October. In October first week or so, all of a sudden my family decided to contribute towards Jeff Bezos' wealth a little bit. So there were all these boxes just showing up at our house because Christmas was worried, right? Like whether we're going to have a good Christmas or not, if the kids are all going to have their gifts. And by the way, how many of you did that? Oh, come on. All right. We all did that. We've all been there, right? But when Christmas morning comes, when Christmas morning arrives from a child's perspective, they don't see any of that. Right? They don't see all the worrying that pa their parents or the adults in their lives did. They don't think about all the planning that took place or the thinking and the rethinking what to buy, what not to buy, which gifts to give, and which gifts does Santa get credit for. You know, I worked so hard, but I have to give credit elsewhere. Right? We were trying to negotiate all those things. But from a kid's perspective, it just happened. Christmas morning, right there, there's the tree, there are the gifts, and it's a blast. And just like that, Christmas morning happened. Right? Just like that, Christmas morning happened. Child doesn't think about all the struggles, all the things that parents and the adults in their lives did. Friends, sometimes when I feel like when we come to Christmas Eve and we read the Christmas Eve story, sometimes we think about this story this way. Caesar Augustus issued a degree and blah, 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 blah. And Mary and Joseph, you remember them, they were here and they had to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem and then there was a star and bam, Christmas is over, right? Right? Everything is jam-packed in those five, seven, eight verses and bam, it's done. And sometimes we might take to ponder take a second to think about 
um, before Caesar Augustus, what was the guy? Mary, an angel. Like, remember that story? We kind of think about that a couple of times. And then we think, oh, there's Joseph, who was a righteous man. And still, bam, Caesar Augustus. No room in the inn. Baby is born. Hallelujah. Merry Christmas. We move on, right? But this evening, I want us to pause a little bit. I don't want us to rush into the story of Christmas and get to the baby in a manger right away. But I want us to pause a little bit and talk about certain shifts that happened all through much before Jesus was born, about 700 years before Jesus' birth, that there were certain shifts that took place. There were certain things that changed and moved and kind of came together in order for that time to be perfect. And these three shifts are synagogue worship, Hellenization, and the journey. And the reason these shifts took place so many years ahead is to fulfill what Paul was talking about in the letter to Galatians. This is what Paul writes. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if you're a son, then an heir through God. See, Jewish worship, friends, was always centered around the temple. God gave very specific and clear instructions to Moses as to how to construct the tabernacle. Many years later, King Solomon finally constructed the temple. And when you read about the construction of this temple, when you look through the details that were given, it is absolutely beautiful. I was doing a Bible study with a naval architect. This guy designed um, aircraft carriers and submarines, and he was kind of sharing his thoughts on what all this instructions were. And he said, I think that was a pretty beautiful building. The temple was absolutely beautiful. It would take your breath away. The grandeur was there. It was visible through the plans and through the scriptures that we read. And temple worship was significant in the life of every Jewish person. They would take a pilgrimage to the temple. They would take their offerings before the priest. They would take their sacrifices and they would worship the living God in that temple. But about 600 years before Jesus' birth, the Jewish people were carried away as slaves. This we call the Babylonian exile. In 586 AD, the temple was destroyed. The Babylonians literally burned the temple down and took the people of Israel as slaves. Now the Jewish people had to shift in their theological understanding as to how they were called to worship the living God while living in exile, while living in a foreign land, while they can no longer go to a temple and worship God and give their offerings. These people lost their identity. Their land was taken away from them, and now there is no place for them to worship. It was no place for them to worship. And so they had to find new ways. 
There was a shift that took place during the time of exile when they were taken away from their homeland and they found a new way to worship. They began to worship their God in the synagogue. In Hebrew, the word synagogue means house of prayer. The Jewish people would meet in a house or a room and they would all sit in rows and they would look to the front and someone from the community would be there to read scriptures and lead them in prayer. Does this sound familiar? The Christian church adopted this model of worship from the synagogue. And they, this practice that started 600 years before the birth of Christ, this shift of synagogue worship allowed the church to survive. We no longer, as Christians, seek a pilgrimage. We believe where two or three are gathered and we come together and we pray, we know God's presence is there. This theology was established much before Jesus was born. That shift had already taken place much before Jesus was born. And we read, in the fullness of time, Jesus was born to a virgin. And the next shift is the shift of Hellenization. After Babylonians came and captured Israelites and took them off as slaves, the Assyrian kingdom came and captured the Babylonians and let the Israelites go back to their homeland. And they went back to reclaim their land and to make whatever was left over. And they started to build their homes in Israel. And they made every attempt to rebuild the temple while also worshiping God in the synagogue. A few hundred years later, we see the rise of Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great had only one objective. There was only a singular purpose that he wanted to accomplish. He wanted the known world to live like the Greeks. We read a lot about Alexander the Great in our history books, but this evening I want to focus on those that followed after Alexander the Great. His empire was broken up into four geographical parts, Cassandra, Ptolemy, Antigus, and Seleucus, where the four generals that took over the, re the remaining kingdom. And the Seleucid Empire ruled over Israel and Palestine. And the Seleucid Empire ca carried out the wishes of its founder, Alexander, by promoting Greek language and Greek culture in the entire region. So Jews were forced to learn a new language in order to do commerce, in order to travel. Yes, they spoke their regional languages. They spoke Hebrew and Aramaic, but there was a shift that was taking place even while they were doing this. They were now were part of a dominant culture. A dominant language was predominantly spoken all over that region. And that language was Koinonia Greek. That means common man's Greek. And, these, and this shift took place 200 years before the birth of Jesus. The Seleucid Empire named Antiochus Epiphany. He was so zealous to Hellenize the entire nation of Israel that he decided one day to sacrifice on the altar of Holy of Holies to Zeus. And when this took place, the Maccabean revolt happened. The Maccabean family decided enough is enough. 
we are going to overthrow this Greek emperor. And they fought. And the festival of Hanukkah is related to that revolt, the Maccabean revolt, as to how God provided for them in that season. 200 years before Jesus was born, the known language that everyone spoke was Greek, koinonia, in the region. And friends, because of that shift, because of that shift, the story of Jesus survived. Because of that shift, the good news of Jesus was spread all over the known world. The story of Jesus was told and retold because of that shift. Today, when we read the gospel story about Caesar Augustus, how Luke tells that story, that story was written in Greek. That story was written in Greek, and because of that, the story of Jesus survived because of that shift. Finally, we come to the journey that is Joseph and Mary that they took. The gospel story starts with these familiar words that you've heard over and over again at every Christmas Eve service. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was housed of the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Here we read the entire known world received this order, this decree from Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus, all he wanted to do was increase his revenues by taxing the known world. I want us to pause for a minute and think about what might have taken place. It's not like on December 23rd, Caesar decided, you know what, I'm going to increase my revenues. And he sends that email out around 11 p.m. December 24th, December 24th, 23rd, he sends the email. Mary and Joseph read it on the 24th, and they start heading out, right? It didn't happen like that. You can laugh. It really didn't, right? See, what I want to know is this. Which politician came up with this idea? Let's count every family that is part of our kingdom. And when we count them, we're going to tax them. Like, that should, that's pretty brilliant, don't you think? Come on, don't you think? We'll count you, and by the way, because we counted you, now you got to pay us. Right? And when did this decree from Rome travel all the way to Nazareth? How many days did it take? How many months did it take for that word from Rome to travel all the way to Nazareth. And once it gets to Nazareth, Mary and Joseph make a 10-day trip to Bethlehem. The inconvenience of this journey should not be lost on us. Mary was with child, about to give birth. But I love what Luke does. The gospel writer Luke 
I, I love how he introduces Joseph into the story. We learn that Joseph is from the line of David. That he had to travel to Bethlehem to fulfill the promise that was laid out many years ago. From that line of David, a new king would be born. And these are the words that we read from the prophet Isaiah. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government. And of peace there will be no end. And the throne of God over his kingdom to establish and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the promise that we share. That the king whose birth we celebrate today was fulfilled in Jesus. And the reason it was fulfilled in Jesus is because this family decided to journey all the way from Nazareth to Bethlehem. We read in the fullness of time, Jesus was born to a virgin. Friends, today, tonight, I want to remind you that in the fullness of time, in the fullness of time, God is going to complete your story. I'm not sure what shifts you might be experiencing in your life. Whether these shifts are shifts of identity. Where you feel like you're completely lost. Maybe these are shifts that are theological. And maybe God is opening your eyes to see things anew. Maybe God is showing you things through a different prism. Maybe you feel like you're being forced to learn a new language. And you feel like you're being forced to go on a journey that you know is going to be filled with challenges. I don't know what shifts you are experiencing in your own life. But no matter what shifts are happening in your life, I want you to carry the Christmas story with you. That God is moving those pieces so that one day God is going to say, to you in the fullness of time your story came together God is knitting your story together God is moving all these pieces to write your story just like the way he moved all these pieces all these shifts so that his son can be born in the fullness of time Friends, may you leave from this place knowing that God is shifting things and changing things and forcing you to learn new things and sending you on to a new journey. Because in the fullness of time, God's going to say, your story is perfect. Amen.